When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, we are here today with a Tottenham Hotspur update, which means, of course, we are joined by the fantastic Steve McGookin, you can find on Twitter at Steve McGookin, and also former chairman of the New York Spurs Supporters Group. Uh, So, a couple of busy days here. Uh, Sunday, obviously, the 3-0 loss to Manchester United. Monday, the sacking of Nuno Espirito Santo. Tuesday, the hiring of Antonio Conte. And I just kind of wanted to start by getting your <laughs> summation of, of all those events and how they struck you. I love the pronunciation, Kev. Thank you um, for having me back on. I'm actually in Cincinnati this week where you used to live and where we spent many mornings, some of them happy, uh, watching watching games. So uh, shout out to the Cincy Spurs and mm. uh, the other fans in the area. Um, I, yes, I don't. I don't want to use the line there's never a dull moment at Spurs because unfortunately unfortunately there've been far too many dull moments this season all of them on the pitch um <laughs> but but this this development this this weekend development uh definitely an exciting turn of events and before we go any further I I I have to offer a mea culpa uh I I admit and not as you know for the first time that I was completely wrong I really thought uh, Levy would persist with Nuno for the rest of the season and then uh, make another run at getting Poch. Um, I thought after what happened in the summer, we'd end up finishing, I don't know, anywhere between 7th and 10th, but that Nuno wouldn't get the chop unless we find ourselves <clears throat> sucked into a genuine relegation battle. And and I thought there were just too many teams that are worse right now for that to happen. But <clears throat> I guess I underestimated the the power of the fan reaction and the, the chanting after the United game and, and the sound that Daniel heard was the, the sound of potential damage to the value of the brand. So, and that's the ultimate thing he won't tolerate. Mm. So um, yes, I mean, going back to, going back to the game, I mean, someone tweeted how clever it was for Spurs to, to lose as convincingly as they did, but, uh, so they could justify <laughs> going after the best available unemployed manager who, don't forget, just, just a few days previously had, had been waiting in the wings for Solskjaer to get his marching orders. So, you know, the whole thing, it was too neat the way it, the way it fitted together. But, but it just emphasizes, I think, uh, and I'm sure you had the same thought, the realization of just how important timing is in all of this, uh, that no matter what your strategic plan might be, uh, circumstances can change and you can be guided by events off the field as, as well as on. And I mean, you know, if you if you think back to when Levy pursued Mourinho, you know, the driving force in the end was that he was available. And there were rumors that at the time that he might end up going 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 to Arsenal. And then, mm. of course, you remember Jose's first uh, game in charge when we were you know outclassed by Everton. Uh, and it, it, it sort of lent weight to, to his desire for new players. So all of these things are, are sort of strategic, if, if not tactical. But I, I think you and I, the last time we spoke, I think we all thought that, um, that it was going to be Newcastle's change of ownership that might have been the tipping point mm. uh, that set the dominoes tumbling, if, if you forgive a mixed metaphor there, I suppose. Uh, and I, I, it's, it's probably not insignificant, I suppose, that Newcastle's apparent recent targets have been uh, Emery and, and Fonseca, you know, uh, demonstrating a level of, of your club's ambition, but also showing that you're seemingly not desperate enough, even if your team's actually in the relegation zone, to push the boat out and, and just go out and get the best manager available. So, you know, it's... It, it, 
it, it has, has been a remarkable weekend and a remarkably exciting weekend. Uh, and, and, you know, you and I both know that, uh, that Spurs have for, for too long been an, an easy target for the football pundits who, who like to have a pop at us. And to be fair, we've made it simple uh, with an almost constant narrative of underachievement and chaos. But, um, but I have to say, before we, we get into this, I mean, among the avalanche of coverage, the past couple of days, there were a couple of things that stood out for me. Um, and, and coincidentally, both of them were in The Guardian. The first one was the latest cartoon this morning by the, by the very brilliant David Squires. Uh, I don't know if you saw it, with a, a typically snarky reference to Vincent Janssen. Um, I thought that was that was actually pretty cool. Hey, we saw him score a goal. <laughs> <laughs> you did indeed, yes. At, at, at your first visit to to White Hart Lane. Uh, the other the other piece was an article on Monday before Conte had had formally been appointed by Barney Roney, uh, where he he pondered the nature of the Spurs manager's role. You know, just in in general, whoever happened to to hold onto the reins, and he and he concluded that. The appointment of Conte, who he described as ruthless and who he called restless, angry, precision engineered tactician, what he said that that would be the ultimate test of Levy's ambition for the club. And I think that absolutely hits the nail on the head. So, you know, what what we're left to ponder, what what comes next? Where do we go from here? Is it is it a, a genuine medium term transformational project beyond Conte's initial contract, and you know we can talk about the the length of the contract, um, or or will it be a case of as I think it was Levy's intention when he got Mourinho, primarily to get us back into the Champions League short term, and then try to bolster bolster the value of the club uh, after the um, you know the, 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 it's it's given an, an especially urgent uh, feeling at the moment after the failure of the Super League. Um, so I think there's all of those all of those features uh, pulling together, and and you know generally I think we'd agree it's never a never a great idea to change horses in the in the middle of the season, and I think you know we have to ask what these developments tell us about the decision making structure at the club and what the relationship between Levy and Partici is going to is going to be, and how that dynamic changes with the arrival of uh, of as strong a personality as Conte, especially. You know, after the after the backstory of the summer and the chaos that that ensued during that whole process, and of course the relationship between uh, uh, Conte and Paratici that they'd they'd had uh, they'd had before. But I let me digress briefly, just to get back to this point about <laughs> about timing. Uh, I'll digress briefly with um, a baseball comparison, and I wanted to, I wanted I'm glad we're speaking today because I wanted to make this point. Um, five years ago tonight. Five years ago tonight, November the 2nd, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series for the first time in 108 years, right? In 2014, two seasons previously, they ditched their manager, a totally unassuming good baseball man called Rich Renteria, uh, Mm -hmm. for no other reason than because another manager unexpectedly came on the market uh, when when Joe Madden didn't uh, renew his contract at at Tampa. Yeah. Yeah. So we were lucky at the time, the Cubs were lucky that, that Theo Epstein, the general manager, was smart enough to realize that Madden wasn't just the best manager available, but was the, the crucial piece of that jigsaw that would turn the team from being perpetually ordinary into potential champions. And I think the difference now with Spurs, the difference with this situation with Spurs is that I fear that Levy's action, or rather reaction, I suppose it is, uh, it seems to be driven more by desperation than by uh, constructive strategy. It really, this really seems, and we've talked about this, this really seems to be a last throw of the dice that has that feeling about it, uh, especially given that what he's done now requires an acceptance of his missteps, his previous missteps. But, you know, I'm, I'm very excited. Uh, I'm very excited. I'm scared. I'm very excited <laughs> and scared. Uh, but you know, it's common knowledge. We've we've known that we've needed a rebuild, uh, a rebuild, uh, rebuild the squad. 
since the season after the Champions League final, since you know everything you know got to the heights and then and then fell down. And Levy didn't back Poch as the man to do it, and it it started a spiral that really that won't end overnight with uh, with Conte's arrival. But I think what's happened is we're we're taking a serious, significant step on the road to whatever's next, and and you know I think let's be honest, Kevin. I mean the the the, the idea of treading water in the sort of kind of growing mediocrity that we've been watching recently couldn't couldn't really continue. But um, but there we are. Yeah, I think you've made some fantastic points there, and, and we talked some on the show on Sunday um, about how we were following Arsenal's trend of regression from Mm. challenging for titles to challenging for top four to challenging for Europa League to falling just below that and how Arsenal did it in about a decade and we did it in about two and a half years. Um, But And we talked about how trying to sustain your previous run of success can be more damaging than just committing to a rebuild. Mm -hmm. But Arsenal didn't get Antonio Conte. So I was curious if you think it, well, A, if you agree with that general premise, and B, mm-hmm. if you think that bringing in a manager the level of Conte to try to eke out the last of the dregs of the Pochettino team out of Kane, out of Son, out of Hugo, I guess out of Dyer and Davinson, they were there as well, mm-hmm. but maybe not mm-hmm. as crucial parts. But do you think that this is the right move to, to still try to get something out of the glory of the Pochettino era? Or if we really should have just mm-hmm. gone for a full real rebuild in the summer with like Ten Hag or, or Potter? But that, but that's the thing. I mean, certainly Nuno, the, you know, Nuno was never going to be the man to do the rebuild. He was always a, it was always a caretaker. You know, let's let's be honest with it. That, and I think that's the players why, knew it. Yeah, exactly. That's why I did honestly think that no matter what happened, uh, as long as we didn't fall too far down the league, that that Levy would um, uh, persist with him and then try and get Poch back at the end of this season. But it didn't work out that way. And I I totally agree with your uh, Arsenal analogy. Uh, and I think it all comes down again to to timing, to being able to time the reconstruction of a club uh, or of a squad, uh, not all at once, if you know what I mean. And I think that we'll come on to talk a little bit about you know players that, that Conte might want to bring in, but um, but I think it's it's a matter of blending the the idea of getting that last drop out of your veterans at the same time as you bring an acceptable level of quality through to to bolster the squad Um, and we if you if you look at the signings that we've made they haven't exactly sort of worked out you know we 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 haven't really taken uh the the team to the next level uh I mean, the, the, the argument about the team being different from the squad, the first 11, we, we always said that our first 11 was better than most other teams in the in whatever competition it was we were playing against. Mm-hmm. But our problem with the league was that we just didn't have the depth. We, we had no depth. And so I think our problem... Similar was, to Leicester right now. Yes. No, that's, a, that's actually a very good analogy. And, and I think we have to recognize that um, we just haven't been able to get that blend right now, whether that's, uh, I think that that comes from the boardroom. That's essentially a budgeting decision. The idea of not buying players for two transfer windows that, you know, you can't pretend that didn't have an impact. Um, but also when you have a situation where we overachieved this, the, the, the previous uh, two seasons, probably. Um, so being able to blend that rather than sort of, just whip your whip, whip your best assets even further, and and you know wonder why they why they've lost their value. Uh, it, it doesn't um, it doesn't bode well. Let's put it that way. So I think now uh, the, the the realization that we have to turn to someone like Conte to to conduct um, conduct sort of radical surgery on mm. on the squad, uh, which is probably not an ideal scenario, but. I think uh, if we come on to talk a little bit about the players we have, the players he wants, that sort of thing, uh, he is, if there's somebody you want to build your team uh, with the with the end objective of challenging for trophies, I can't think of anybody better. Yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting point. Um, and I think maybe one of the key differences, and you have alluded obviously to the fact that there, there are several, but 
is I think we're more title starved than Arsenal won. Obviously, at the mm. height of Arsenal, they were winning things with Wenger. So that that duration of, of tolerating what was going on, especially with him still as the manager, I think was more there. For us, like, I genuinely feel, and you mentioned that this is a very big roll of the dice by Levy. Like, I, I bet there are a lot of Tottenham fans that would literally give anything to see Hugo and Kane holding a trophy. Oh yeah, and absolutely. this is this is that personified. Maybe mm-hmm. this isn't going to work. Like you mentioned, every Tottenham fan is equal parts excited and terrified. Yeah, by this appointment, <laughs> it is both. the The terrified doesn't detract from the excitedness. No. They coexist. Um, I, I think it's only terrified because, and I, I, I'm not sure I should really have used that word. I'm terrified because if it doesn't work, where do we go from here? That's that's the terrified part of it. But having said that. I'm kind of glad that, that the Nuno era has ended because the longer that went on, the more damaging it would have been in ways that we can't even quantify, I think. Yeah, totally. I, I, I think that's a fair point. Um, so yeah, I, I, I agree. This is, a, this is a very big gamble, but I think it's one you have to take. And it's an 18-month contract. Obviously, he said now to that, even though he didn't say yes to a two-year contract, one of the things mm. being that it might have been too short at the time. So that was a, also a thing I wanted to get your take on is, is the appointment of Conte, why now? Why the structure of the deal? Just why in the middle of the season when he said he was going to wait till the end of the year before picking a job? Just why do you think all of this fell into place so perfectly for Spurs and, and Paratici, who obviously was the one driving the, the particular right. wagon there? Right. Well, I think one of the questions you have to ask alongside that is exactly what went on in the, in the summer and what was the relationship like between Partici and uh, and Levy after Conte walked away? And, and where did that leave us? It basically left us uh, where essentially uh, half the people in the room were high on helium and they, they did, just didn't know who to turn to. It, it just it seemed too chaotic. Everything just seemed... You know, it, it was like we're getting Paratici because he's worked with, with Conte at Juve and we're sort of laying the groundwork to do this really remarkable investment in the club or investment in the squad. Uh, and then suddenly it all it all turned to crap. And, you know, it. why now? Um, I mean, have you watched us <laughs> recently? I can't, I can't honestly think of why Levy would move now to, re- to get rid of Nuno and hire anybody else. I mean, literally anybody else. This, this is, this is the, the, the appointment that he should have made in the summer. He knows that. It's an, an admission, as I say, everything is, is sort of tied up with, uh, with understanding um, what happened, uh, the backstory of what happened in the summer and, and uh, an, ad- an admission that, that certain people got that wrong. And so I think where we go from here is that that will clear the decks on that and we'll basically say, okay, we should have done this in the summer. We're doing it now. Let's just um, let's just make the best of it and move on, regardless of the fact that we have spent more we have probably spent more on uh, manager compensation in recent years than we than we have on strikers. That's a fantastic point. And goes to your earlier point about thinking we were going to stick with Nuno throughout the year, because even though Nuno was only on a two-year deal, reportedly, if we made it to the end of the year and didn't make Champions League, we could have sacked him without owing any compensation. Right. Which, right. Would, which, which, which was a good, a good bet. A of good course. Bet. Right. And so then it, it obviously makes it make more sense to think, oh, well, we'll just ride out the year unless it gets really bad, like you said before. But unfortunately, that's not the case. Obviously, still paying... Um, Nuno not paying Mourinho because as soon as he got a job with Roma we didn't owe him anymore same mm-hmm. with Poch we didn't owe him anymore as soon as PSG hired him so yeah. we have done fairly well covering ourselves in these situations only by yeah. the uh, <laughs> principle of having managers that had external value so I was, was going to say you know if other clubs want our managers why couldn't they perform for us so it's, <laughs> it's a sort of a you know, it's a false a false economy if we're saying, oh, we saved money by not having to pay them um, compensation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> that's totally fair. That, that could probably be a whole show in and of itself. The, the like faux economy of football. But um, right. yeah, I totally agree. And and like we were saying, I think because of that, 
that's why this is an 18 month contract with a with a possibility to extend and i was talking about this a little bit on twitter with earlier because somebody asked me if i was concerned about that that maybe it sends the wrong message that it's another short-term option but i think it was probably the only thing that could have happened it's it's 18 months plus the option for a year if both parties agree but this means that if it goes terribly levy gets out not having to continue to pay a manager that doesn't work for us anymore. And on the Conte side, if Levy doesn't back up his financial promises, he can back out. If a bigger club comes sniffing in a year and a half, he can back out. If things go incredibly well, he can back out to get a better contract from us. Exactly. Um, and exactly. I think it just lays the groundwork for all of those possibilities. So yeah. Conte gets the security that he wants in that he knows his value on the market. Uh, obviously, United were interested. The Barcelona job just came open. Newcastle are suddenly the richest club in the world. I honestly think it's impressive that we managed to get him under those circumstances. Yeah. Although, like we said, kind of similar to the Mourinho thing where we were just trying to beat everybody to the post there. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it benefits both parties, I think, for it to be yeah. 18 months plus the extension. I agree. I agree absolutely, Kevin. I think you've laid out the options very well there. And there is a performance element built into it in the sense that, you know, if this goes well, uh, Conte can write his own ticket. I mean, he's to a certain extent, he's going to be writing his own ticket next, you know, in the summer transfer window to that extent. I mean, obviously, we'll 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 wait and see what the what the promises were. Um, But, uh, you know, it's. Um, again, it's one of those situations where there has to be a compromise. There has to be something in it for both sides. And I think this this arrangement works well. I, I, I would just maybe go one stage further with something you said. And I would say maybe the worst case scenario is it doesn't work out for whatever reason. I, I Hopefully, fingers crossed, I'm, I hope we're not having this com- this sort of conversation again in 18 months. But then you end up with someone else coming in clearly a a lesser manager because we have one of the best managers in the world now uh who has to then work with the high price talent that that Conte will have will have brought in and so your 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 rebuild then basically is undermined by the fact that you're the, the man who's doing the rebuild has gone I mean, that's certainly an interesting point and I will say in the defense of Paratici who absolutely muffed the the managerial <laughs> appointment but has done very well in the market is that he has bought high upside younger players in yeah. emerson in heel in romero so i my assumption is that we will buy players that fit the player ids that conte needs for his system but that mm-hmm. they will also be young enough so as to have resale value or be young enough that we can adjust their positioning like brian heel right now came in as a winger that can play on either side. And all of a sudden you just hired a manager that doesn't use wingers. Right. He's probably young enough to adjust to being an attacking midfielder where yeah. he can, yeah. he can use his fluidity of play, his vision, the strength of his mm-hmm. passing. He's hit the crossbar viciously like eight times already uh, in the European conference league where, yeah. where you can target that kind of player who both suit the purposes of Conte and hopefully either have value or purpose for us after the fact but but it's a good point that we were talking about Nagelsmann or Ten Hag or Potter because they're mm. younger managers who could have been in charge of the rebuild and now mm. it's Antonio Conte who will bring in a higher profile of player as part of his rebuild and he's good at rebuilds uh actually uh Kos Pande, who comes on to talk about United with us sometimes and and covers Serie A was talking about that in a pretty good Twitter thread earlier I might link mm-hmm. it in the uh post but it was all the examples of times that Conte has actually been in charge of rebuilds and how not only has it been short-term good, but uh, you know who kept winning titles after Conte left Juventus? Uh, Juventus. You know who yeah. kept winning titles after he left Chelsea? Chelsea. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's that not as dire. What he leaves behind him is not as terrifying as I think a lot of people think. What people remember is the dramatic exits, yeah. which has happened yeah. at all of those clubs, including Inter, where yeah. he was just basically like, if you're going to sell Lukaku, I'm out. <laughs> they were like, we have to because of finances. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. yeah, but I, I do think you make an interesting point, though, is is that he will probably be stocking the pantry for a different manager. Even even if there's the one-year extension, three years from now, we're probably still going to have those players because they probably will be younger. 
and they will fit the the Levy mold, and we'll probably have spent our entire five-year transfer budget in three years or in two and a half years or whatever. But but the one thing we know for sure, Kevin, is is certainly after what happened in the summer that the the parameters between what Conte wanted to spend and what Levy wanted to give him have changed uh, at least enough for to bring Conte back to the table. And and as you say, if you look at how he left Inter and Chelsea. It was primarily over disagreements over resources, and and Levy knows that. It's not like it's not like that's a secret, you know. So so yeah, I mean, there's there's a there's a, a, a sort of a wide open understanding, I think, of what what both sides bring to the table. Yeah, if either Levy has finally ceded to Conte's demands. Or yeah. he thinks he successfully deceived him, which is very much laying the seeds for his own demise. Because... Well, you see, that, that was the, and the reason I mentioned the David Squires um, uh, cartoon, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's brilliant. The final, the final frame of the David Squires cartoon this morning was um, Conte walking out, basically thinking that he's got a pledge for, you know, 150 million pounds of, of transfer value in the, in the summer. And uh, and Partici and and Levy basically just you know fist bumping because they think they've got something completely different. <laughs> so yeah, it's exactly exactly. I think all of those points are are very valid, and uh, and we'll just have to see how it unfolds. But I I think the important thing is um, one thing to realize is probably uh, even with the winter window uh, transfer window coming closer. There aren't going to be wholesale changes until the summer, uh, which puts the onus back on the current group of players to play for their place. And, and that's absolutely no bad thing. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I totally agree. And I wanted to cycle back to something that you had pointed out earlier, which was that we now have one of the best managers in the world. For me, he's top five. He walks into the Premier League as top three. I'll let you guys argue amongst yourselves which of the <laughs> Tuchel and uh, Klopp and Pep I'm leaving yeah. out of that list. But uh, he's obviously a fantastic manager, regardless of where you have him in rank or anything like that. So I'm just curious from a historical perspective, where do you think he ranks among the great Tottenham managers in oh, history? Oh, wow. That's that's a really interesting question, Kev. And uh, I think there are so many different factors that played into the the timing of who was in charge at a certain time. I mean, uh, when Ozzy Ardiles had the famous five, for example, uh, when he was, I mean, Ozzy was a wonderful guy, as you know, he's a great guy. But but as a manager, you know, you just put the most talented players you have on the park and just let them play. Um, it would have been fast. I think a more fascinating question is if if Conte or someone like Conte had been manager instead of Jerry Francis, for example, and, and this is no dig really on Jerry Francis, but the way we were playing with Sheringham and Klinsman up front, I mean, that uh, and and then subsequently with the famous five and, and all of that stuff, if, if, a, if a class manager like that had been in charge of our squad back then, uh who knows who knows what might have been possible but it's it's a good question and it's a good one to to debate over a couple of beers um it's uh, you know jack santini god love him uh christian gross god love him uh have have you know definitely set a bar um somewhere along the line but uh but i mean 
the reason we're excited, and I, you know, we've talked a little bit about the reasons why we're scared, but the reasons we're excited is that uh, this is Antonio Conte. This is this is a man who is a, a an absolutely known quantity. You know what you're getting with him. You know all the things that go along with him. Um, even more so, I think, than Mourinho. Uh, even more than. Um, and, and I know you you sort of of the opinion that that I think you said something on a tweet the other day about um, uh, Conte is the manager that Mourinho thought he yes. was, and I, I think that's that's absolutely true, absolutely true. You you, you have a, a manager who's just uh, his second nature is to win, his first nature is to win, and that's what he does. So yeah, I, five I titles in I, the last seven years that he's managed. Yeah, yeah. I, I I couldn't be happier. I mean, I was I was overjoyed when it, there was talk in the summer that we were we were going to get him because it it showed back then it showed that Levy was serious. Now I think it shows that Levy is desperate, but at least he's prepared to admit when he when he got something wrong. Totally, and and per our previous conversation, I I think we probably sold out a bit more than we wanted, exactly like we did in the Mourinho situation, but. I, I think this this is the the gamble. Mourinho was mm-hmm. no longer, as we found out, the manager that his CV claimed that he was. And I yeah. think that's the difference, is Conte is still at the height of his powers. And as you mentioned, it's incredible that he's as known a quantity as he is. He has the same system. He has the same personality. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows what you have to do or not do to keep him on side. Like yeah. it's it's a it's a dangerous situation, but everybody knows what the situation is. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree. And I was uh, talking to Dave Hendrick over WhatsApp when, when this was all happening. Um, and his, his opinion was basically that he is coming into the club with a higher profile than any previous manager because Mm -hmm. Bill Nick didn't have managerial experience before he joined Pochettino was joining from, I think they finished eighth the year before Southampton. Mm -hmm. Um, which was, you know, impressive with that with that squad, but not like <laughs> turning tables. And that Mourinho wasn't at the level that he he at least thought he was when he joined. Um, right. So I I don't think I disagree with that. I think he might be the highest profile manager to have ever joined Tottenham. The question is, will he leave at the highest? And it would yes. take quite some doing to surpass yeah. Bill Nick in yeah. the foundation that he laid at the club. I mean, oh, oh absolutely, no, I totally agree with that, but. I, I, we've talked an awful lot so far about the downside, potential downside for Levy in all of this. There is mm. a potential downside for Conte as well, and we would be foolish to ignore that. You know, the, the expectations are huge. Uh, it's not going to happen overnight. Whatever happens isn't going to happen overnight. And plus, as you say, you know, it, it might just end up that we're uh, we're just uh, un, an unmanageable club. Yeah, yeah, it really could. Who who will want to join us after this? Right. Um, especially when you hear reports that like, while well, we thought Graham Potter was like the low end of our list as a rebuild uh, candidate, that he was like, but, it might damage my personal reputation uh, to join Tottenham I, at this time. Yeah, I, I tell you, I was having a chat while um, uh, while watching the, um, uh, the Man U game. I can't really call it a game. Uh, with my friend Patrick, who has been on your show as well. And, uh, mm-hmm. and we were saying, you know, the difference between Nuno, the, the only difference, well, the difference between Nuno and Graham Potter is that Brighton team play for him. They're playing for him, mm. you know, and whatever you think of him and whatever you think of whether he could replicate that with high price talent, um, that would be in the, in the, in the proof would be in the pudding of that. But certainly he has motivated that team. And if you look at David Moyes at West Ham, the way in which he has got those yeah. players playing for him, you know, Moyes, I, I'm 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 glad for him that it's that he's turned turned his career around in the way that he has. Yeah, and and obviously you're you're mentioning that this this could be damaging for Conte, but he does have experience with those those superstars and has even benched some of them or yelled at mm. them and subbed them off after they were subbed <laughs> on like Lautaro Martinez last season. Um, but <laughs> well, he was an yeah. inter. Um, but I guess but the then big he boxed with him. Didn't <laughs> he they? did. They, yeah. they settled it by by having a, a boxing contest, a boxing match. Yeah, in uh, training the next day. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was pretty remarkable. Uh, I wonder who's going to be squaring up with us at Tottenham. But uh, I guess the question is, as we're debating what what the upside and downsides are, is what do you think the expectations are, either from the organization for bringing him in or the fan base who are now 
getting such an elite manager into the club, albeit a quarter into the season. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think um, Spurs fans are inherently um, pragmatic when it comes to evaluating managers. They, they understand very quickly what's cap- what a manager's capable of and what's actually doable. Uh, and I think expectations in terms of um, the fans, I think, you know, given my expectations previously were that we'd finish, you know, towards the lower end of the top half of the table if the current system had, or the current situation had persisted, uh, you would probably expect something marginally better than that, even if even if it turns out that this is a, a truncated rebuilding season. Um, I mean, I, I think it would have been fair to judge Nuno at the end of this season, uh, but we can I think we can only judge Conte when he's had a chance to bring in some of his own targets. Um, but you're judging, it's two, two different uh, uh, sets of circumstances that you're judging. You know, how, how do you motivate the players you already have, or how do you then bring in new players and uh and and get them to work together i mean i I, in terms of expectation i just hope we can turn things around in terms of the psychology Mm. and the confidence of the club and i think that's the most important thing and if that if that happens uh you know i do think we can start to reorient the, the 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 collective the collective mindset of the players and and as I say, we've got the rest of this season to figure out who wants to who wants to stay, who wants to play, who wants to work with Conte, who doesn't, and hopefully we can we can use that as a platform to build on for uh, for um, the, you know for the following season when he can bring in some of his own uh, some of his own players. But you know, long story long story short, Kev, I mean, it, it, Conte's a winner, uh, as as we've said. So was Mourinho, but but whether. Whether Conte can instill, uh, you know, winning mentality in, in, a, in a group of players that collectively don't know what it means to win, um, certainly in, in in the domestic uh, context, um, we'll just have to wait and see. But I think people are people are realistic enough to realize that that it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And we can get into a discussion about whether or not we win something like the Conference League <laughs> against Mourinho or something like that this season. I but... don't know. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the thing with the Conference League, and I, I think we've spoken about this before, you're always on a hiding to nothing because it, if you don't win it, if you go out at some point, even if you know if you go out in the group stage or whatever, how embarrassing is that? Mm. You know, and the potential downside of of entering a a, a lower grade competition and not doing well uh, is is it's a hiding to nothing. Yeah, and if you win it, people will say the first trophy yeah. you've won since two thousand and nine <laughs> was this brand um, new competition. People forget the Peace Cup, Kevin. <laughs> and the Audi Cup, I think we also <laughs> technically won. Right. But maybe That's let's right. maybe maybe that backs your point more than I'd like. Um, you mentioned uh, the squad there and having to get the most out of the players that are already here. Already reports of all the players that he'd like to sign. Dusan Vlahovic, kind of at the top of that list. Frank Kessier as the kind of secondary one. Mm-hmm. That one makes a little bit less sense to me because we already have Hoybier. I agree that mm-hmm. Kessier makes more sense in Conte's system, but. Hoybier is like 80% of that in here already. Um, but um, with the current squad, and we, we talked about this in the summer back when he was originally linked, our squad weirdly lines up with his tactics mm-hmm. as it already exists. So if you assume that it's going to be a 3-5-2, and I've heard some people say that it could end up being more of a 3-4-3 three, three, um, with something like Sun and Delhi behind Kane. But assuming, let's just pretend that he's just going to literally control C, control V, copy and paste his <laughs> inter tactics. It actually lines up really well with what is arguably our best 11. Yes. So the front yes. two, Kane and Sun. Kane mm-hmm. is Lukaku. Sun as Lautaro Martinez. Obviously mm-hmm. different in terms of build and individual play styles. But in terms of role, both of them would do very well. And I think Sun in particular would be devastating in that Lautaro role. Um, for defenses uh, for the wingbacks Sergio Regalon would be perfect as a wingback although yep. I think he was finally starting to get back into form under Nuno and then was randomly dropped for the United match yeah um, yeah but I, th- I think Regalon would yeah I think Regalon would do excellently as a left wingback and uh-huh. Sessegnon finally has a spot because he wasn't creative yes. or attacking enough to be a midfielder or a winger he isn't defensively minded enough to be a true left back but as a left wing back, I think he could really shine. Yeah, on the right, right side, 
You have Emerson Royale, mm-hmm. who uh, maybe is more of a traditional right back, but it certainly makes us happy that we didn't sign Tomiyasu, who is way mm-hmm. more of a defensive right back in that position. And then Matt Dougherty, that's the when he was good, was playing yeah. as a right wing back oh. under Nuno, hilariously Absolutely. enough. Absolutely. But maybe, maybe he gets a renaissance in midfield. Yeah. Um, like we already said, Hoybier fills the Brozovic role pretty well. There are external options who could technically do it better, including Brozovic himself, who's out of contract in the summer. But I think Hoybier could do that well. I think Lacelso could mm. could play that right central midfielder role well, where he drifts wide to create overloads with the wing back and with Kane if if he ever drifts out right. Um, in the attacking midfield spot is a little questionable because it wasn't really an attacking midfield spot until yeah. Erickson joined. Before yeah. that, it was more of like a traditional three. So that's where you get into your, is it Erickson? Is Deli a midfielder or a forward? Mm. Is, I said Erickson. Is it Deli? Is it Lacelso? Yeah. Is it Brian yeah. Heal, who I mentioned at the top of the show, converting to attacking midfielder now that there mm. aren't wingers? I think that's the big question mark, is, is how the midfield sorts out. But the defense, you have uh, Cristiano Romero. I've heard some people say he'd be better on the right. But I think that right-sided center back of a three-roll would be perfect for Jafet mm-hmm. Tonganga. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then Absolutely. the big question is the left-sided center back. Because currently we play Dyer anytime we need somebody on the left. But in a three, it could be Davis. But I don't yes. think you want to do it with Tonganga. Yeah. Where they're both kind of traditional fullbacks playing centrally. So yeah. is this the chance for Joe Roden to come in and impress? Absolutely. Because Conte yeah. has brought through young players before mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. positions where he trusts them. So I think that mm-hmm. those are the two big questions is mm-hmm. who's the third midfielder and who's the left-sided center back. But mm-hmm. aside from that, we line up pretty well. Yes, we absolutely do. And and let's face it, you know, our our players are not they're not bad players. They just don't seem to be gelling at the moment and and there's a lot of things to fix around that. Um I mean, I I love your optimism for Lachelso. I I really I do think he can he's the sort of player that can definitely flourish uh under Conte. I mean, you know, th- th- there's been comparisons with Eden Hazard, but I, uh, and that's a bit premature, but um but we definitely know from from his performances for Argentina that there's there's a really good player in there. It's just a matter of so how do we use him? How do we use him exactly? And the third uh, midfielder, attacking midfielder. I mean, that that well, that's Mura, isn't it? Until uh, until we get um, anything else sorted out. If you assume that the two up front are Kane and Son, mm. uh, then you want somebody else that that has that uh, has that speed, has that uh, ability to to break things up in the middle of the in the middle of the park. I think that there's question marks. I think the elephants in the room are probably Ndombele and Delhi. Uh, and and Bergwijn, I think as well. I mean, I'm not who sure. could be converted to that like right wing back that he did with Possibly. Victor Moses. He has yeah. the speed. He has the um, willingness yeah. to commit to a system that maybe someone like Lucas doesn't have. As yeah, much. no, absolutely no. I think that's very that's very true. And and I think also you're, very good points that you made about um, uh, Ben Davies and Matt Doherty. That I think uh, depending on obviously the opposition and who we're up against, uh, I think what we're going to see is uh, is Conte using the squad um, over the next few weeks to actually get a sense of how they gel together, how they play together. And, you know, poor old Dyer, there's, people say there are questions about, about Dyer's future, but, you know, when haven't there been, let's be honest. And I, and I think the, the good thing is that everybody now, nothing's going to happen overnight. Everybody now gets a fresh slate. Everybody gets a chance to impress the new boss. You know, and I, I, as I say, I don't think there's anything better in the game than than a new manager coming in who's well known and people know how he plays, how he sets up. And so professional players can adjust to that and and say, well, you know, do I want to stay here? If I want to stay here, I want to get myself on the good side of the manager. Um, you know, you, you were talking about uh, players that uh, who you think Conte could make better. And you, you mentioned some of the younger players as mm. well. I think that's absolutely right. But I think before we go that into that discussion, you have to ask which of our current players right now would be a guaranteed starter in another top four side. And and the honest answer is probably only very few. Uh, and four, Kane, Son, Regulon, Romero, and uh, probably Loris. Uh, if yeah, but yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, I would think so. Uh, and I think that the the reason it's so few is because we haven't seen the potential 
of some of the others. The others have to grow into that role. I mean, Oliver Skip, I think, is a potentially a, 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 a Tottenham captain in waiting, and I think someone that we can build a midfield around at some point. And, and of course, unfortunately, we haven't mentioned, neither of us have mentioned Harry Winks. Yeah, who, who no. couldn't deputize for Hoybier, but it feels like Skip's already won yeah. that role. But like you said, Conte will give everyone a chance. It's just he exactly. will very quickly decide who doesn't deserve that chance any longer. Exactly. What, what do you think? I mean, what do you think is going to happen with Ndombele? That's that's a fantastic question. So, I you mentioned two excellent choices at the back in Davis and Dougherty of, of what will their futures be? Is this is this an improvement for them? I think the two biggest questions in midfield now are Delian and Dombele because it yeah. really depends on the shape of the three that we choose. If there's an outright attacking midfielder, are either Deli or Ndombele good enough there? Because obviously Ndombele has been playing as the attacking midfielder when we've played four two three one under mm-hmm. Nuno. And it was amazing against Newcastle and not so mm-hmm. great against anyone else. Right. And Delhi doesn't create chances for other people. He likes yeah. finding the space, driving into it and shooting more than he likes passing mm-hmm. it off. But he hasn't really been shooting either since Mourinho came in uh, yeah. after those first couple of matches. So I, I think that's a fantastic question. If if your best answer as your attacking midfielder is Lacelso, that opens up that a kind of right-sided central midfielder a bit more to someone like Ndombele, who yeah. I think would do well in that role. The question there is obviously fitness. Uh, somebody <laughs> tweeted about how Quadwa Samoa, I think it was, collapsed during a training session of Antonio Conte, and they were like, Who's the, who is this going to be at Spurs? I was like, we all know it's Ndombele, unfortunately. <laughs> um, if, if he gets his mind right, and, and let's not get this confused, and Dombele's yeah. issue is motivation. He is yeah. not internally motivated. He is externally motivated. People are on either side. Neither one's inherently good or bad. But in football, it tends to be a negative because, as Ellie Gold has constantly reported, mm-hmm. he gets in these cycles of he plays well, he thinks he deserves to be at the biggest clubs in the world, then he doesn't put in the effort, then he suffers for three or four matches, gets benched, and leaks to the French press that he wants to leave. It is, yeah. it is not a very good cycle. But you have to wonder if... Antonio Conte coming to the club is a big club coming to him in his mind rather than the other way around. Because if it does, and he's externally motivated by Conte well enough, talent has never been the issue. He could be one of the very best midfielders in the world if he properly applies himself. Absolutely. But that's the big question, is will he prove himself early enough to get into that early 11 to not lose it? Yeah. And I'm not sure about that. And part of it's out of his control. Part of it is how Conte wants to shape the midfield outside mm-hmm. of his abilities. Because we've seen before, Conte has benched better players for worse players because their player ID matches his yeah. tactics better. Yeah. So this is it's it's going to be an interesting one. Kind of on that note, what would you do mm-hmm. with Delhi? Would you play Delhi as a member of the front two and try to get him back to his goal scoring best when he joined? Or would you keep him in kind of the central midfield role that Mourinho and Nuno have tried to apply him to. Again, that's that's interesting. I think it, it's going to depend on who our opposition is uh, on any given week, what uh, the level of the, the team that we're playing against. I think Delhi benefits from having a little bit more space uh, at the if he's playing behind uh, Harry. And and Harry is another case in point. I mean, Harry is you know we we've had these enthusiastic noises about Conte from Harry, which appear to have been reciprocated. So you know we'll have to see how that whole thing plays out. But but I mean, in essence, Harry is a striker, and he needs to start doing striker things. And again. Conte did say that at the Euros. Harry, that if he had his hands on Harry Kane, he'd stay in the box yeah, because his best yeah. talent is finishing. Yeah, but I, I, basically what, what we want with Harry and what Conte wants with Harry is to get to a stage where we don't have to worry about that position, that Harry does what Harry does, and we, we you know work around that. Delhi is a much more challenging uh, uh, issue, and I think, as I say, it depends on where Conte thinks he can play him to, to give him more of a platform, more of an ability to, to show what he can do. And that, I think, is probably against teams from the bottom half of the table or uh, teams in the cup or wh- wherever you get the opportunity to actually have a little bit more space and where you get a, sp- a stage to be able to, to, to work. But, but definitely, you know, as I say, the elephants in the room 
are those three. It's Delhi, uh, Harry, and and Ndombele. And um, and I think how those situations play themselves out are going to have um, uh, implications for transfer activity. So Conte mm. want to, will want to know what's happening uh, with some certainty between uh, now and the end of the season. Yeah, not only would it have an impact on transfer activity, it'll have a, a, a effect on the pitch and an effect in the dressing room. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. this squad has given up on three consecutive managers now. Yeah. Collectively, yeah. I don't know if people saw the athletic report that they took a vote about whether or not they wanted Nuno to still be manager, which is just... You're kidding. No, I, I it was for both Nuno and Jose, uh, reportedly. <laughs> I did. I obviously did not write the article, nor do I know this myself, but that was reportedly what happened. And Antonio Conte does not play that game. Um, um, so that he'll, will be... He'll be boxing them all. <laughs> like, Conte versus... It'll be, <laughs> it'll be me against all of you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, transfers there and, and a couple of times earlier talking about how you didn't think there would be meaningful changes until the summer. Widely varying reports on how much or even if he's been promised money in the winter window. Do you think that that was even part of negotiations? Do you think there's a number on it or do you think we're just willing to bring in one or two pieces in January to try to bolster a top four run? I think it's really important to look at who's going to be available. Uh, in the winter and I don't think they want to I don't think he w- he will want to blow his entire annual transfer budget in in one window just getting some of the limited people that might be available um again you want to bring somebody in to to shake things up a little bit and give uh, a couple of the players a little bit of competition um so I would expect I mean I I don't know what's going on in his head and what uh, as I say, I trust that relationship now between Conte and Partici and and their uh, scouting network and that sort of thing and how they how they work together. Um, I can't see a situation where where Levy doesn't trust him, where doesn't you know where doesn't back him with the uh, put his money where his mouth is, uh, because he's he's just he's gone too far down the road to to turn around and uh, and come back again. So. So I think there will be, I mean, what do, what do I know? What do any of us know? Uh, Conte obviously has ideas that he wants to put into place, but I think the first step, the baby step now, is to is to see which of the players he has are going to work and which ones mm-hmm. he needs to replace. Uh, and it's it's possible that, that the winter window will, will see more players leave than, than join, but but then again, you know, you, you, can't, you can't maintain the integrity of the squad um, or the depth of the squad, which we were saying is, is one of our biggest problems, uh, by doing that to too to, to great a degree. I think an awful lot is going to depend on who's who's on the market, who's available. Uh, how does Conte feel that the current staff, the current um, uh, roster uh, fits with the, uh, with the ambitions that he has? As you say, I mean, I think the, the, the tactical fit, is already there. It's just a matter of, you know, does does Conte think that that there is someone in his mind that he wants to fit in a particular position? Uh, that uh, that regardless of who the current Spurs occupant is. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not expecting an awful lot of activity in in the winter window, but uh, I think by the start of next season, I think he'll he'll have had a chance to. Uh, to add to the squad with his own uh, with his, his own uh, picks. Yeah, yeah, I think that's an absolutely fair point. I I think an expectation is there for we're now playing a two striker system, and we mm. have two two strikers at the club, and one of them's a youth player in Kane <laughs> and Dane Scarlett. We're obviously going to play Son as more of a center forward more than the winger that he's been the past few years, but he's been drifting in further and further <laughs> the past couple of years already. Um, so I think you have to bring in a striker and a system that relies on two and you technically have one. <laughs> That's not really going to work out. Um, well, it, I, it never has. As long as, as long as we've had Harry, as long mm. as Harry has been the starting striker, we've never solved that dilemma, really. I mean, we were, we were mentioning Vincent Janssen earlier. I mean, that, that was very typical of how we tried to fix it, but, but we never did. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I, I do think the upside now is uh, we heard previously from like Victor Osimhen's agent, and he's absolutely brilliant and love him. 
Um, but that they were negotiating with Tottenham, but he, he wouldn't sign off on it because he didn't want to just waste his potential sitting up behind Harry Kane. Yeah. And now you have the potential where there is now a second striker spot. And yeah. if you can get in there, or now if you're counting on one of Kane or Son tiring or needing a rest mm-hmm. or getting injured, there's an, now an extra spot. So maybe now there will be better luck. Now we do have an actual director of football, a manager who's going to be more demanding in the market than previous ones. Mm-hmm. But I think that's obviously going to be a targeted need. I think we sign a striker in January. I okay. don't think it's Dusan Vlahovic, even though he's the one everybody mm-hmm. wants. I don't think he'd leave Fiorentina in the middle of the season. And he'd probably cost a lot more. By no, I, I can't say. How long has he got left on his contract? You know? Oh, did he extend or not? Because they, they were very confident he was going to. I don't know if he ended up doing it or not. That's a great question. Yeah. I don't want to speak to it without properly knowing. But yeah. he's obviously the target. I'm not sure because I think that's a bit high profile for January. If it works, awesome. Yeah. What I think is more likely is, and this would be a bit of a throwback for the Spurs fans that are still listening near the hour mark, is a <laughs> Lewis Holtby-esque deal where you go to Brozovic and Inter Milan or you go to Franck Kessier at at AC Milan, uh, and you say, okay, we're going to pre-agree a deal for the summer because both of them will be on freeze in the summer. Yeah. Once you've negotiated that, then you go to the club mm-hmm. and say, they're already coming to us for free mm-hmm. in six months. How much right. do you want for us to have him now? With Lewis Holby, it was like $4 million, which yeah, is a bit lower than the kind of players that we're talking about. Yeah. Also, yeah. I doubt he's on the list because he isn't in Italy, and that's all anybody remembers now that we have <laughs> Ferratici and Conte, is uh, Dennis Zaccaria at uh, Mönchengladbach, right. I believe. Right. Another right. really talented defensive midfielder um, that's, a, that's a bit more flexible than that, like, like Hoybier. He's a defensive yeah. midfielder for us, but he plays a bit more adventurously for Denmark. Um, mm-hmm. Is another option where free in the summer, could we pay a little bit extra now to get them now? Um, so I, I I think those are the ones. The other yeah. thing is center backs. We mm-hmm. talked about Tanganga and, and Ben Davis as potential options there. Neither of them are true center backs. The true yeah. center backs at the club are Eric Dyer, Davinson Sanchez, Christian Romero, and Joe Roden. Joe Roden. Yeah. And is four center backs and two deputies enough for a team that is going to play the back three every week with the intensity of training that Conte does two mm. matches a week, basically through February. Yeah. Yeah. I don't no, know. Is, I, is that a position we address as well? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I, I, I would, I would think that those four, you know, when you think about it, any combination of those four should be strong enough to beat, 50, 60% of the teams that we would play. Mm -hmm. But it's when you're competing at a higher level that maybe that's when we're not, uh, when we need something a little bit more sophisticated. And I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, Romero next season. Once he's had a season to settle, Uh, I really like what I've, what I've seen of him so far. Uh, My only gripe with him is that he picks up too many yellow cards. And that's, I think just him, uh, getting to learn uh, the pace of Premiership, but I, I I like him on the ball. I like him in the air. Um, I'm very pleased with that with that purchase. So uh, so yeah, it's a matter of it's a matter of who do you pair, depending on the opposition or how do we how do we set up that we make sure um, the the players that we have get sufficient rest. Yeah, and I think that's a fantastic point. And, and to one of your earlier points, we don't know yet. Like we we can we can prognosticate as much as we want, but not only is it if we'll see it, it's, it's what Conte sees in training. Are those yeah. fours fitness levels high enough? Does he trust Tanganga to be the right sided center back? Because then you have five. If you trust Ben Davis to be the left sided center back, now yeah. you have six options, which is yeah. certainly more than enough. But yeah. yeah, we'll just we'll have to see. Excited as we are, and as excited as we are <laughs> to tell you all what we think will happen, it it's you know surprisingly it's out of our hands. Um, <laughs> it always has been, Kev. Everything yeah. has always been out of our hands, but but that's been the, that's been the fun about it. Yeah, totally. Um, and folks at home, we certainly hope you've enjoyed hearing us uh, pontificate on all these uh, potentialities here under Antonio Conte, the new Tottenham Hotspur manager. We'll leave things there, Steve. If you'd like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, that'd be a great time. Thank you, Kevin. I've really enjoyed this conversation, so thanks for having me back on. I am uh, Steve McGookin. I'm excited and scared. 
and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you can you can get me at Steve McGookin or uh, for my non-football writing uh, at northernslant.com. Awesome. Well, Steve, an absolute pleasure. A very exciting and kind of scary day to be a Tottenham Hotspur supporter, <laughs> as we mentioned, but absolutely delighted to chat to you anytime we can. And this was a pretty fantastic occasion to do so. Uh, I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable on Twitter and on any of your podcasting apps. And you seem to have nailed it thus far, if you're hearing us say this just now. But again, thanks to Steve for coming on. Fantastic as always. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.